This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. Surprise! It is my wife and partner on this podcast for the last uh, couple months, Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello! Poof! I feel like I should have like a poof of smoke that I come <laughs> popping out of. Surprise! Uh, yeah, that would be extra weird since you live here always. So if when we started a podcast, you had to be a <laughs> puff of smoke every time. That would be very exciting. <laughs> I'm all for that. We'll see what we can do. Okay, well, you have poofed, poofed into the podcast, <laughs> and I too have poofed into the podcast. We're going to get right into it. Uh, this week, we are talking about something that I think we have both been obsessed with in the past, and I think I'm probably still obsessed with in the present. I probably will be until my dying day, but we can examine our obsession levels. <laughs> uh, the topic is the Fringe Festival. So uh, the Fringe Festival, obviously, we'll talk about what it is. You and I had a ton of experience in the Minnesota Fringe Festival in particular, as well as others, which we'll also talk about, uh, because that's where we lived, and that's where we performed for many a year. But I also wanted to just say at the top of the podcast, uh, the reason we're talking about this right now is uh, partially to help the Minnesota Fringe Festival. Uh, We spent so much time doing it, and the Minnesota Fringe Festival is trying to get ahead of things. They already canceled the festival for 2020, and they have been uh, raising uh, funds as a nonprofit to stay alive. And the Fringe gave me so, so very much. Uh, and I think uh, you feel that way as well, right? I do. Okay, good. I didn't want to speak for both of us, <laughs> so I, I, I paused. <laughs> you looked at me. But yeah, and you could have said... It's your cue. If, and if you said, nah... Nah, I I would have just hit the stop button. I can do that. Poof. Uh, So I can now say with authority, since I checked, it has meant a lot to both of us. Uh, So we wanted to uh, help out a little bit uh, by sharing where you can help the Minnesota Fringe Festival if you're interested. And then this whole episode will be about uh, our experiences with a just exciting, bizarre thing that is the Fringe Festival. If you'd like to help, you can go to minnesotafringe.org slash donate. And just spoiler We'll say that again later. So let's jump in, Sarah. For people who have never heard of the Fringe Festival in general, mm-hmm. how would you describe it? Yeah, so I would say um, it is a... a, a uh, I would have better words than I've had so far. <laughs> that it during a small period of time, it is a bunch of shows of a variety of genres crammed together, and uh, it's a space that is um, promoting uh, creativity and experimentation um, on stage, try things, go to shows that maybe you wouldn't normally go to, and um, also has a good sense of camaraderie. And that's a horrible description of it, but <laughs> yeah. that's what that's what I got. It is large in a beautifully confusing Brigadoon, right? It pops up <laughs> once a year. And it's a whole big thing. Uh, and then just historically, right, there, it started as a counter-programming to a festival in Edinburgh in the first Fringe. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the huge one is the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which you have actually been at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just it grew. It grew. It went, it went everywhere. Uh, and then for uh, myself, growing up in Minnesota, it 
the Minnesota Fringe started in the first one was ninety four, if I remember correctly, because I did the second one and okay. it was in ninety five, uh-huh. uh, and then it has spread many places, including here in uh, where we live now in Los Angeles. There's mm-hmm. the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which we've gone to a couple of shows, and the, the most remarkable thing, the most bizarre thing, Fringe Festival, not surprisingly has a collection of things that cause a specific aroma. <laughs> the smell <laughs> of a lobby. I think the smell of uh, heat in the summer and people being sweaty and perfume and cologne. And then also, I think really specifically, the smell of all of the printing from the promotional fringe cards. Mm. And I think all of the, like a, a hot theater lobby full of people and printed postcards I remember walking into the Hollywood Fringe going, oh, my God, it smells like this 20 years of my life in Minnesota <laughs> doing the Minnesota Fringe. So, smells like Fringe Spirit. Smells like Fringe Spirit. We're all connected through smells. That's what I'm talking about. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then uh, every Fringe, a lot of the Fringes are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the majority of time that we were doing it uh, in Minnesota, basically what it was is it would be a collection of theaters. They would give themselves over to the fringe and it would be running shows, uh, you know, starting in the afternoon and going through the evening and then sometimes on the weekends, just in the evenings, blah, 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 or other way around uh, on the weekdays, just just the evenings. But anyway, it would be all of these shows mm-hmm. and the spirit of it would be that you that audience members go fringing. So you mm-hmm. go not just to, oh, my friend from work is doing this show, but you go to it and go, wow, that was surprising and weird. I'll stay for the next one. Uh, and then for other people who are who are not in this world it, as much, it, it's an easy thing to forget. The huge thing about uh, the vast majority of fringes is that they are non-juried. There is no, uh, there are little exceptions here and there and, and disagreements and all that. But uh, for the vast majority of my experience in the Minnesota fringe, it was non-juried. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge part of why it was important to me and important to a lot of people in the literal practicality of there was no artistic gatekeeping. Right. You you needed to do your paperwork and you needed to show up and you not needed to not light the the theater on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but besides that, nobody was going to say, mm, "We believe theater should be done like this." Or let's see your resume. It was anybody who can put on a show gets to put on a show. They pay their money. Uh, got to so popular in, in Minnesota that there was a lottery uh, to get in. Uh, I believe there still is a lottery. Uh, so for, for people who are like, eh, theater, cool, what's that, all that about? This was a really different theatrical experience because it was a way to get massive amounts of exposure and possibly get put in front of a much larger audience than you ever could if you just started out by doing a, a traditional theater thing of renting a really expensive theater and then with no support structure of advertising or tech, putting on your own first show for a, a ton of money. Uh, the fringe is this huge opportunity to not only learn, but to um, just uh, learn everything mm-hmm. artistically and a structure that allowed you to learn about the business side of show business all without any uh, artistic gatekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, that's a huge part of it, especially um, within the Minnesota fringe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and then you and I also wanted to caveat at the top that we have not been involved for a while. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it has been quite a few years. So what we're saying is from a few years ago <laughs> and earlier. Um, so we are we're providing a historical perspective today. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, it's been, what, five years since we've been involved? Oh, more. Six years? Yeah. So more. Anyway, we aren't saying that we know what it's like right now. We're yeah. saying that we know what it was like during the years that we were there. Yeah. And it's a weird thing for me because I was so intimately involved. Like the Fringe producers would put out a handbook and I would... The one of the things they would say is read it, and sometimes people would ask me how I how I did something or how I did a good job or how I got something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be like, I read the handbook and I did what it said. And so for there there was a time there where like I had the handbook memorized, and if there was a slight adjustment or new rule, I was really fascinated by that and had new ideas about what that would do to the festival or how I could adjust to this new tweak or this new idea. I was so immersed in the details mm-hmm. and the 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 festival's evolved a couple times since we were involved and i kind of know from a distance from seeing friends talk about it on social media or you know hanging out when we visit uh, minnesota but for me it is definitely a i used to be all in like know if a paragraph was changed in the handbook and now i'm like you guys how's it working these days uh, uh, <laughs> what's going on so i want yeah. to acknowledge yes that not an expert in the moment um so let's let's dive into our history with the Fringe Festival yeah. and what it means to us. What is your big picture involvement with the Fringe? Oh, uh, well, I was involved with the Fringe most years for give or take around 10 or 12 years. Okay. Um, and I was most often in it in dance shows, uh, as we've talked about many times. I am a dancer. <laughs> la, 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 la. It's, it's always fun to have a dancer say it. I am a dancer. You made it a very That's dancerly right. hand gesture when you did it. Leap, leap, season, season. There we go. I am a dancer. There you go. Um, uh, the ne- our next episode will just be a dance that we're going to podcast. <laughs> we'll just describe leap, leap, swan. Right. Um, but I did do some other uh, shows as well, and um, but that was my the my primary experience with it was. Um, being in dance shows which was very fun because when I started we were kind of like people would always say oh and it's a theater festival and I'd be like and they'd be like oh right and there's some other things too because there would be like storytelling and mime and dance but we were like the five shows over in the corner and then it grew to be quite a big um uh, have a quite a strong and very active dance presence as well. So yeah. that is part of my experience with it. In an effort to c- call it a performing arts festival. Yes. Where a lot of people did end up still just saying theater. Yes, yes but so it got much, much better yeah. over the years. Yeah. So you, you feel like the dance was uh, smaller and a little bit like, oh, what are you weirdos doing over on the side of this big weirdo festival? And then you felt more uh, a part of the whole thing is oh, going on? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So you were involved in dance. Mm-hmm. What other big picture? When you think of Fringe, what is the other you know big picture involvement for you? Oh, I mean, it kind of it's one of those things where I was I was very involved with it, um, and kind of going off of what you were saying with with the lack of gatekeeping, it also was a way like dance theaters are insanely expensive, and even though. For those people who are not aware, Minneapolis is an, or the Twin Cities are um, very, very strong dance community, like mm-hmm. seriously one of the strongest in the country. And people who know dance, especially modern dance, know that. And other people think I'm crazy. But believe me, it's true. There's data <laughs> to prove it. At least it used to be. Uh, I assume it still is. You've collected some of that data. I, I have. Or have yeah. I danced with the person who did do all the research for the nation about it. Um, it also for me was where a lot of uh, friendships got started um, and solidified. So it was very much a um, kind of a, a camaraderie uh, experience. And then in our time together was uh, 
you were, if I may say, all in on French. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, so not that I wasn't all in before that, but we'll dive deep and we'll find out I wasn't always all in. And then I became much more uh, closer to all in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, later as well. I, I was in the throes of a fringe uh, adventure when we the summer we started dating. Mm hmm. And that was a whole thing. We did a couple of shows together, combinations mm -hmm. of dance and storytelling. Uh, you helped me produce a bunch of the shows. Uh, you helped me make props. And uh, uh, yeah, so you were <laughs> very much involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I think big, that's okay, good for well, now. Great. We'll get into the details. So uh, for myself, yeah. this is going to be an exercise in keeping it short because I wrote up my notes and I thought, this will be fun to talk about the Fringe Festival. It's like, Yeah. Just real quick, in an hour or so, talk about those 19 years of your life <laughs> that formed you as an artist and a human and formed most of your relationships. Yeah, it's, it's a huge amount. So uh, it, it'll be a challenge for me to be succinct. But I'm going to try because that was one of the great things about Fringe, too, is you had a time limit. And if you uh, kept going, it wasn't like, no, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll just we'll, we'll stop you down. Uh, yeah, it's almost always a 60 minutes, right? Yep. And uh, one of my good friends, uh, who was a tech at one of my favorite venues, uh, the Rarig Thrust, uh, added, <laughs> this is one of my favorite things to make sure that artists stayed on time, added a giant red clock that the performers could very clearly see from the stage to help you end on time. So I will try to honor <laughs> that big red clock in keeping this short. For myself, it was just totally uh, formational for being a performer, for being a writer and a producer and an actor really so yeah i did the first one in 1995 for myself or my first one was in 1995 i was uh still in college uh growing out of visual art that we talked about last week i had started doing more performance stuff uh around campus with my brother and some of our friends and we were excited when the fringe started and we're like oh wow cool because we were very much kind of anti you know, establishment. So the fringe was very much, ooh. Uh, the first show we did was this very weird riff, basically on Marx Brothers style humor. Uh, I played uh, a, what would be called a stand now. My brother and our friend uh, played uh, two strange magicians who had a show that was failing in real time. And then I played uh, a kind of stalker fan, a Stan. Thank you, Eminem. Um, uh, and that was the whole show. And it was called, uh, there's weird stuff with goats. It was called Till Debt Do Us Part. It was a very weird show. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. But then from there, just kept doing it and doing it and uh, did shows for a long time with my brother as the Scrimshaw Brothers, uh, met a ton of other people, started uh, writing and producing shows by myself as well and had like some actual success, had a couple of number one shows and kind of within the microcosm of the Fringe Festival, which was kind of related to the larger <laughs> theater and performing arts uh, community, I think over time it got less isolated and more accepted and more a part of the whole theater community. But within mm -hmm. the specific pond that was the Minnesota Fringe Festival, I got to experience this sort of uh, gift and curse of being successful and mm -hmm. well-known. And I think that's really helped me because I don't want to imply in any way that like, yes, I was quite famous like i i worked hard i think i did a good job i think i was lucky to work with a lot of other talented people but it has helped me to have that like oh wow it's great when everybody loves you but when everybody loves you 
there are also people who really don't and are suspicious of you and concerned about you. And that was a great life learning experience. So mm-hmm. uh, I got all those things out of Fringe as well as just the absolute joy and thrill of doing a show and being on that absolute high and it goes well and, and you can get really big audiences. And then you go to two more shows and you see your friends perform for huge audiences and it goes really well. And then you go to the big fringe party at night and it's, it was, it's like this bizarre theater summer camp. And that I I think just the absolute power and thrill on the really good days where you have a great show, your friends have a great show and then you're having a big party. There's kind of nothing better in in my life than those days of fringe. All right. That was well done. That was very succinct for nineteen years. Very succinct. Okay, here we go. So we'll we'll go to you. What was your first show? So my first show in the Minnesota Fringe, which was not my first Fringe show, um, which we'll come back to um, later. I had done a show in the Edinburgh Fringe, was actually my very first. Oh wow! So cool. Uh, (laughs) So it happens when you go to school at the University of Edinburgh. You can just (laughs) stay for the summer and do a show in the Fringe. Um, but my, I'm fairly certain my very first show in the Fringe Festival. Um, so I used to dance with um, a Russian dance company uh, we, that was based in the Twin Cities, and we were approached by somebody who was doing an adaptation of a Russian novel similar to um, 1984, Brave New World, called We. Okay, and it was had been written in Russia, and it was a huge influence on Brave New World. Um, and so, this uh, the person who had written the libretto for it had singers and and musicians, and then we, the American Russian Dance Company, we were the dancers. So it was all like this huge, elaborate, operatic, balletic, like um, traditional Russian dance is very ballet informed. So it's all like spins and turns and tricks. Like it's very trick focused. Um, So we were, we were that and um, did this show in the fringe and I have such wonderful memories of this, but also this is where I can say like, I wasn't totally in it. Like I didn't quite understand. I didn't realize that we were planning to do this show in the fringe. I don't think I think I had gone to like one fringe show before, okay. maybe two like that friends had been in, um, but I hadn't quote fringed yet. Yeah. And I didn't quite realize like, oh, it'll be during these 10 days and you don't know when your performance times are. And in the meantime, I had also auditioned to be in like a regular musical theater performance of Crazy For You and had gotten in and had performances for that like at the same time. Oh, man. So they said like, okay, so this is the schedule. I was like, I can't do two of these days. Correct, because it'll be a it's nothing like a normal theater schedule. It'll be yeah. like Tuesday at 5.30 and then Thursday at 10 and then Sunday at 1 o'clock. Yeah. Utterly like bizarre and erratic. And the bizarre ones I think I was fine with. It was probably like the Saturday at 8 p.m. I couldn't do because I had like a, you know, real theater, like musical theater show. So we double cast. Um, but, and it was... Uh, <laughs> um, so here's some of the things that I remember most about this. <laughs> okay. This is this is the one I'm going to go on and on about. Please so do. it was a very very hot summer. They later changed this, um, but at that time some of the the venues were air conditioned. Some of the venues were not air conditioned. Right. And I'm fairly certain that this was one of the reasons that they changed that because we were in a church in downtown 
that was not a stage. They just like taped Marley on top of a carpet, um, put up little like dividers, like pro panels you have at art shows, had really hot lights on. Um, and then it kept being like 100 degrees with full humidity yeah. to the point that we had people in the audience fainting. Just watching you Just dance watching made them faint. We were all sweating like actual buckets. Like the floor would get slippery because we were sweating. The lead dancer, uh, you know, lots of dancers, myself included, are sweaty dancers. But I remember like, so there was this part where we were supposed to be um, a plane. Okay. And everybody was being the wings of the plane and I was the propeller. And so I was in the front of the plane doing cartwheels over and over and over in one place. And I had to do like 24 cartwheels over and over and over again. And it was like 100 degrees. And afterward, at least two people came up to me like, how are you still alive? Because I basically <laughs> fainted when you were doing those cartwheels. Yeah. Um, so that was my first fringe experience uh, at the Minnesota Fringe. Very fringy. And it is, it's fascinating when you can say, I survived my first fringe. And it's not like a cute t-shirt thing. It's like, a, no, you could have died for yeah. realsies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it was, I made, you know, like obviously I had friends in the um, dance company, but like some of the singers and musicians are still friends of mine and kind of that um, feeling of what is fringe. And you're all like crowded in this basement trying to put your fake eyelashes on where there's no mirrors and things like that. It was it was good rough and tumble early fringe days. Yeah, good rough and tumble. Do you remember what year that was? I want to say 2001. That sounds about right. Yeah. I, actually, I, I know it is 2001. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I saw a one-person sure. show uh, in that church in that year, and I remember thinking, I'm going to die, and so is the one person sitting still <laughs> yeah. speaking. Yeah, so imagine 40 people dancing. It was also a very small stage. Like We didn't quite all fit. Uh, so there was that also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, in the the early, go ahead. Yeah, you, no, gonna I was just going to say there. We did eventually trim it down, but I I did other shows with the same company, um, and you what you say about memorizing the uh, the manual is they just kind of seem to think that they didn't have to. I mean, I love them, Neca and Nina. If you're listening, I will always love you. <laughs> but uh, they didn't really think that the time limit applied to them. Yeah. This one, they had somebody else who was kind of in charge, so they did have to cut it down. But the first show, I think, was 10 minutes over. But I did a show with them two years later where the first show was 15 minutes too long, and eventually the tech just turned off the lights. Yeah. That that I yeah, uh, there's been stories of like people went out and like storytellers finished their show outside because yeah. they got cut off. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a fascinating part of fringe that on one hand it is, you know, it's not juried, it is open to anyone. That is supposed to be one of the joys that you mm-hmm. could see the weirdest, most inexperienced person ever do a show and it could be truly like, wow. Uh, this was this was not good or you could see the weirdest most inexperienced person ever do a show and you could see something jaw-droppingly beautiful and yeah. you could see somebody who's done it for a long time it so it's it's got this uh, this punk rock aesthetic but in order to make it happen there are moments of rigidity and maybe that's why i took it to it because it really <laughs> is it has the extremes of my personality yeah. of like some things like flowing artistic whatever go crazy man and other parts are like you must follow the rules. <laughs> and that is, uh, that's that's the fringe. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I already described the first show that I did a little bit. Um, it was really bonkers because it really was, uh, it was in that era that, that I, I and the people I was working with were very obsessed with entertainment, kind of obscure, weird entertainment of mm-hmm. the earlier, you know, mid 20th century. Uh, so it was very Marx Brothers, uh, but uh, not not as brilliant as the Marx Brothers. Uh, yeah, so my character actually from that came from 
we went to this costume shop that used to be uh, in downtown Minneapolis called Teeners. And I mm-hmm. saw these uh, giant googly-eyed glasses and a old-school red propeller beanie. And I was like, that's a character. <laughs> and the people I was working with was like, okay, we'll buy them and we'll come up with a character. And like it was that level of it. like, let's just experiment and have fun. Uh, but a couple memories from that. There was, I had a fight with a goat man, a person in a goat mask. It involved a, a fake plastic battle axe. And uh, one time I got hit in the face and I got a, just a giant gash across my face. And I remember thinking that it, hoping that it would develop into a real scar <laughs> because I would think that that would be like rugged and cool. But also then like people would be like, how'd that happen? I was like, well, uh, during a theater performance, I was hit with a plastic battle axe by a goat man. <laughs> it would be a fun story. Uh, in just the very beginning of like learning practicality of like a big thing about being on stage is actually managing the physical reality of what you can and can't do. And there was a part where I was supposed to uh, throw a rubber chicken mm-hmm. to another cast member. And I had thought it would be really funny if my character had, for mysterious reasons, just a ton of Band-Aids on his fingers. And, of course, they got, like, sweaty and came half off. And when I tried to throw the rubber chicken, it stuck to my hand. <laughs> and not in one of those everybody can tell what's going on it's funny ways yeah. in one of those it grinds everything to uh, a halt kind oh, of ways. No. Uh, yeah, and back then you had a ton of performances so i think we had i can't remember now it was a lot it was like nine or 12 or something wow because the second year it was you know nowhere near as huge as it became um but but there were we shared a dressing room with um a a dancer from india who was like uh some hugely acclaimed like would normally be coming to like a a lofty dance uh, place uh because it, it was a fringe festival and and he was trying it out, but it was brand new. So it was like, it was us like being like, these these are our first steps into performance. And this, you know, uh, this amazing Indian dancer doing these incredible uh, warm ups, moving his body mm-hmm. in ways that I, I cannot even imagine to this day. <laughs> and then like me in a dumb <laughs> propeller beanie. And that was the, uh, the contrast of what the fringe can be. And that was, that was the other thing I wanted to share. So that was, the first time that we were reviewed. So we got a Mm. review in one of the kind of alternative papers at the time. And at the time, the papers had a really snide view of the Fringe Festival. It was a like, okay, the weirdos are going to play in the corner and this is popular other places, but it just started here. And it's, it's, it's basically a theater that's not ready. was kind of the, the prevailing attitude. Uh, But I remember they, you know, it was really insulting of like, you know, this might be funny to, you know, kids clomping around in a gym in junior high or something like that. But the main line that I remember is it said it reads like it was written over a fifth of scotch. <laughs> and you used that for years, used didn't it you? For years yeah. and years because I, I got that. I got so angry. It was the first time, if you've never been reviewed, that idea that like what I just went and did something and then somebody printed an attack and i remember thinking like can we find where this person lives like (laughs) you know when you're not used to those ideas i think we're all culturally probably a little bit more used to it because social media is a constant review yeah but you know before social media was prevalent (laughs) random people just didn't say by the way you suck today like right i mean i understand that is a part of the cultural agreement of performing but that's that was the first time i experienced it yeah, but um, it still hurts to get a bad review, especially the first one. Yeah, and it was just really shocking because up to then, like, it was mostly friends and friends would be like, that was weird, but you guys were funny. I don't know if I got it or if I liked it, but you were, that one thing was real funny. Like, you'd get those kind of yeah uh, 
Your beanie's cool. <laughs> your, be- <laughs> your beanie's cool. Maybe lose the band-aids, weirdo. Um, but we leaned into it, and we we made new uh, posters because the poster game, especially like this was before they, the city even cracked down as much on where you could put posters. So you could just poster the neighborhood like on telephone poles and, and oh, wow. stuff. So, uh, so we made a bunch of posters with reads like it was written over a fifth of scotch and it helped our attendance uh, mm-hmm. on the next show and other artists like noticed us and noticed like the fringe spirit of like, but we're doing what I want. And, and some other artists like that we ended up working with a lot, Bedlam, came uh, to the show uh, oh wow i think in part uh because of that yeah and like anyway so yeah so that that was my beginning a rocky beginning How to the fun. fringe festival yeah so since we started first let's also talk last what was your last fringe oh, show wow so my last fringe show um was now i gosh darn it i'm gonna forget the name of it it was it was a dance show much more put together um <laughs> at summer heat I think is what yeah, it's yeah. called. Yeah. Um, and so it was uh, put on by um, DRP Dance, uh, Daniel Robinson Prater, who I danced with a lot. Um, and she put on a, a show um, that was invited a few different groups to have like basically have a theme. Um, it's a thing that she, honestly she and I had kind of traded off doing a few different years. Yeah. And um, it worked really well. And especially for dance, uh, it's a really good way to showcase other people. And as you mentioned earlier, there is a lottery. So a lot of times you would put in for a show and you wouldn't get in or just like life is busy. You don't have time for a, to create a 50 minute show, but you really want to do the fringe and you might be able to create a 10 minute piece that can be part of a show. And so um so I want to, so that was my, I'm pretty sure that was my last one, right? Yeah. I'm asking you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah. yeah, you had done happy hour, which was a similar idea yeah, the, year the year before. before. And then Danielle had got in and then mm-hmm. you, you guys had done that. So we did summer kind heat. Kind of same concept together. Yeah, yeah. Similar heat idea, but everything was kind of about like, uh, summer and I both did a piece with her and out uh, to some amazing bluegrass music. Oh, that's right. And then I also did, um, kind of two or three little interstitial i always liked i i will say like for myself it one of the things that for myself i loved about the fringe festival is it gave me a place to play i loved the idea of playing and this is um a truth about me i especially at that time i would always run out of time and i would not be good about setting aside time and then actually doing the work to play uh, to be like, okay, I have a great idea, but how am I going to ex- actually execute it? In terms of choreography. In terms of choreography, but also in terms of, I loved playing with comedy and dance. when um, that was a thing that was kind of true for years. Yeah. And so I was doing these little interstitial, like 45 second things where I kept trying to go like, pretend that I was trying to like lay out in the sun. But one of them was, um, it, it was at nighttime um, to the... Good Morning Moon oh, by Marion yeah. Call. Yeah. Uh, she gave me permission to use it. Um, another one was a piece where like a thunderstorm comes in the middle of the piece. So I had to like run away. So that was really fun. And then just this beautiful lush piece that I loved doing with Danielle. So it was a really nice um, kind of full circle of going from super fun, really intense, but not quite getting it to like really feeling like we we knew what the fringe was. We understood the fringe. We found a way to to do it as DRP dance and just to really enjoy doing this movement and sharing it with um, people who, I mean, I can say specifically for dance, and I, I 
can go on and on about this, so I will be short about it for now and maybe come back to it later. But um, it was a really good way for uh, the Fringe in general, for people who don't go to dance concerts, to try a dance show. Because maybe they wanted to go to the show afterward or the show before. They're like, ah, this one's got good reviews or this one seems like it's a little bit more accessible, which is um, a thing that dance often has as a stumbling block. Yeah. And so um, that was one of the things that I was I'm honestly very proud of because I was part of um, a lot of shows that I feel like welcomed a lot of people into dance. Yeah, absolutely. I think dance, it was fascinating because it was all these theater people mm-hmm. uh, or storytelling people who were had a lot of opinions about their own work and, and, and analyzing other people's work. And I think there was a little bit of, which comes up on Obsessed a lot, sort of self-gatekeeping of <laughs> I don't have the, you know, legend to unlock the meaning of dance. Mm-hmm. And you did it. Uh, our wonderful friend John Munger did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tried to have conversations with people one-on-one and really say, the idea of dance is just go watch it. What does it make you feel? What do you think the narrative was? There's not a right answer. Yeah. And, and free yourself of successfully analyzing the subtext and just what did you feel? Yes. And dance invites that. Yes. And I have so much more to say about this, but I want to hear about your last friendship. <laughs> no, if, if you have something more to say, go for it. <laughs> well, just just specifically that. And I mean, that was one of the things that... Um, so John Munger, who you mentioned... I then, after my first fringe, did many, many fringes with John Munger, who is kind of one of the um, elder statesmen of dance in the mm-hmm. Twin Cities. And uh, had for any dance listeners, he had studied with Hanya Holm. So, like, that's amazing in and of itself. But one of his his big things was he wanted to make dance accessible to people who didn't know what in the world dance was. Yeah. And so he would often, in, especially in the early years, do... Um, shows that had little pieces of dances but then he would introduce each one and give a little bit of uh, commentary or a little bit of information kind of trying to give those people that you're just talking about who needed like what's not the hook in terms of like reel me in but just like what is this about give me something so that I have some context and I feel like I, I really truly feel like he did so much um, to expand the audience of dance within the Fringe Festival uh, but one of my favorites is just over the years as different people who are like, yes, sir, I don't get dance, but they would tell me stories later. They would re- write reviews. I'm like, I have no idea. But here's the story that I created. Yeah. And those honestly are some of my favorite memories um, from various people. Yeah, it is really, really great. And John's intros uh, will always be one of my happiest memories of Fringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you could go on and on about yep. that as well. Um yeah, so my last show was a very, very full circle thing. Uh, you might hear us get emotional because a lot of these, a lot of the people that touched our lives, you know, through French, it's you know, it's powerful. Yeah, yeah, they're a big, a big deal. And um, John Munger has since passed away. So. Yeah, yeah. So it is, Rest it's extra hard. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm literally just think, thinking about like I wish I could hear one of his, one of his introductions because they were both. Some of them just let you in. Like some of them kind of, they were a little bit more literal, set the stage mm-hmm. of like a stressful day at work. What happens next? You know? Yeah. And then some of them were like, this is only dessert. <laughs> right. You know, so like, oh, was that a flavor message? Was that like, it, like it, they were, they were perfectly set up to be, um, to, to kind of both invite you in, but never tell you what to think. Oh, never at all ever yeah and we've off we did for two years different versions of a piece that was all about masks 
Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my last show was a good uh, coming full circle, uh, as I talked about, and I'm sure I'll ramp about a little bit more. I was really lucky to have some like a real big success. Um, is it got into last show was 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you and I knew that we were going to move to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but we hadn't told people yet. Mm-hmm. The lottery had gotten really uh, competitive and it and I hadn't got in. And then. I, I was like, I'd really, it would be so good for me to do one last show, me knowing it is my last show, to be able to walk away from this. Yeah. Uh, and then they had a thing for the lottery where as people dropped off, they would let you know, you know. So is it got pretty close? I was like just watching my phone obsessively <laughs> to be like, yes, I want it. Uh, so as luck would have it, like n- normally I would, you would be able to select the size of venue and I would select a larger venue because I had been lucky to be successful. Um and it was just like, it's this venue, you want it or not. And it was the same venue that I had done that first show in 1995 in. It was for The Fringe, a small venue of 99 seats, mm-hmm. uh, which was great because when you got into the bigger venues, um, good or bad, there had got to be a little bit of a competition of then you can really get into high numbers and then are you going to be the top selling in your venue and all that kind of stuff. And I was removed from any baggage of that. I was popular enough at The Fringe that 90. Five shows with 99 seats. I believe it was sold out before the festival started. And mm-hmm. I just didn't have to worry about it and, and worry about that part of the festival. So it right. could just be about my performance and artistic experience and not any of the, you know, letting in the, the both the good and the bad of competing for the biggest audience mm-hmm. or worrying about the financials. It was just it just what is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and I did a show that uh was called how to swear like a minnesotan there had been a couple of different shows in minnesota like how to talk like a minnesotan and, and various other things like that so the the name was a play on uh how to swear like minnesota like a minnesotan uh there's a picture of me that you took that's floating around the internet with a aggressively holding out a hot dish it's tater tot hot dish <laughs> a tater tot hot dish that you made we did that yeah. photo shoot in our dining room and then we ate that hot dish and it was great it was good uh it was real good uh in, it was it was a, it was a calmer, simpler show because it was just a one person storytelling show. I did some readings, but it really was a a, a fun and I think successful show uh, based on the laughs and the reviews of what what I felt it meant for me to be a Minnesotan. Some of the cultural touch tones, like in Betty Crocker and the Doughboy, I wrote some fanfic about them uh, hooking up, which is very fun. I got to talk about kind of some real things, you know, growing up in, in North Minneapolis, uh, which at the time there had been some violence, and that was, you know, a weird contrast from, oh, Minnesota with the friendly and, uh, oh, the tater tot hot dish, and oh, did somebody get shot? Uh, you know, uh, so I got to play with lots of different ideas, so it felt like it wasn't it did not feel to me like fluff. A couple mm-hmm. of online reviews accused me of, of fluff. But for me, it was not fluff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a real processing of what has it meant to me to be a Minnesotan. I got to uh, slam some Surly and PBR beer. <laughs> uh, not PBR. <laughs> uh, 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 what is the beer I'm thinking of? Greenbelt. Greenbelt. Yes, yes. Greenbelt because it's Minnesota beer. Mm-hmm. I remember that taste. So it was really, really nice. Um, and it was definitely for me. Uh, here's a weird thing. One of the great things about, I think, doing theater, being a performer, being a creative person is you can kind of try to live out weird little fantasies. And uh, when Frank Sinatra retired the first time, uh-huh. he came back very quickly. Uh, he His last show, he did the song Angel Eyes, 
with which the last lyric is excuse me while i disappear and the he sings that line and the spotlight closes on him and he just leaves no bow no encore he's just gone wow. and at the time that was gonna be the end of his career and like when i learned that i was like that's so cool and this wasn't anywhere near as cool as that but i knew Mm-hmm. that this was the end of my journey with the full circle of being back in that same theater where I had been so young and uh, so, you know, unskilled in, in comparison to the 19 years in between mm-hmm. uh, that I did in my last show and was able to just kind of give a little speech about like, you know, thank you for everything that, you know, thanks for the people in this room who experienced this right now, this this time, yeah. you know, and how much it's meant to me. And it was, it was really emotional for me to be able to have that, that very specific full circle experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good last show. Mm-hmm. Good last show. Definitely. For you, what, what sort of artistic breakthrough or different perception of yourself or art happened to you during the Fringe Festival? Well, I produced my own shows. Uh, which was not a thing that I had done outside of the fringe uh, or have done outside of the fringe. Um, I started, we ended up producing the show together, but um, I, if I may say so, Please. it started as my idea. Oh yeah, <laughs> it absolutely was your idea. Because I, we were, you know, looking at the fringe uh, applications. I was like, hmm, I should do a show. I want to do a show called Dance of the Whiskey Fairy. <laughs> and I just loved that title. And I, you know, I mentioned it as an aside earlier. I had studied at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland and had have always been fascinated by um, folklore and also been kind of always a fan of Celtic music. So I was like, this would be perfect. And I love that title. So I want to do it. And I didn't put it in that year and told you about it. You're like, you should put that in. So then I put it in the next year and we decided to do a show together, um, kind of a storytelling dance show which was super fun. So we did, I think, two storytelling dance shows together. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a storytelling dance show with another friend of ours who is a storyteller. And then, as we mentioned briefly, um, put on a show called Happy Hour because I was like, I just want to put on a dance show and bring in other people, not do it all myself. Um really highlight some other dancers that I like who maybe didn't get in or wouldn't even necessarily think of doing the fringe. And <laughs> Well, we talked about cocktails two weeks ago, so even though it wasn't fully cocktails, and I was like, I love the idea of happy hour. Let's do one where each dance is um, kind of themed to a drink. And in some ways, like that is one of my favorite shows just because I loved the concept. And we did ended with champagne because I happened to be in a show at my, I went to Gustavus Adolphus College and um, had been invited back uh, as an alumni to be in a piece. And one of the other pieces in the show, I was like, this is an amazing piece um, it was choreographed about marriage equality because um, it was kind of when all of that was going on in Minnesota. And it's like, this is amazing. I want to see if all of these college students want to come up um, to the Twin Cities and be in the Fringe Festival. So that was really fun to be able to have that like true producer experience, mm-hmm. not only for myself, one of my you know favorite dancers who I had looked up to for years agreed to do the show, but then also to be able to be a mentor for all these um young adults who are figuring out like you know they're all like mainly junior seniors or freshly graduated from college or like come be in the fringe this is what it means this is what you need to do and then you know people loved the show and i also with uh daniel robinson prater got to do our tango piece which is one of my favorite pieces i've ever done in my entire life it um, is insanely beautiful and yeah. if if i may yeah there's a photo of it in our bedroom 
Yeah, there is. <laughs> there, <laughs> there is. There is a beautiful photo yeah. of you and Danielle uh, dancing. Yeah. 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 And I got to learn how to play the ukulele for that piece, too. But, which was also fun, because I decided I needed to do a piece about whiskey as a solo and then sing and play uh, the ukulele. That's right. It. You triple, quadruple threaded that show. You, you I, sang, I you danced, you produced, you acted. I also played a janitor and cleaned up the ch- stage. One of my other favorite pieces. <laughs> One of the other ways to be a threat, be a janitor. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, stage managing. Stage managing. Um, yeah. But anyway, but in terms of like ways that I expanded in... Um, learned from the fringe i would say absolutely performing or um producing because that's i mean i've been around theater and the arts and things like that my whole life but i hadn't had to put on a show myself yeah and i had been a dancer in other people's shows or a performer in other people's shows but i hadn't had to turn in all the information and figure out what the you know promo it should be and all i hadn't had to memorize <laughs> all of the producer side only the performer side of that manual and so it was really great to be able to have that experience um for myself and just kind of um not that i wouldn't have thought that i would be capable of doing it but just to have that like yeah no i did it and yeah if i may say so i did it very well yeah and especially as fringe sort of matured into the shape that i knew it for i don't know i would say the last the the, the, the 15 out of the 19 years mm-hmm. that that i did it um from <laughs> the second year i did it uh, the producer just handed me cash in Loring Park, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, you know, Loring Park has, uh, at times had cash exchanged for other things. So yes. it was, it's, it was very not professional to just be like, here's some <laughs> beer money in the park kid to very, very organized nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, by the time it really took shape, there were years where in shows where, yeah, it was kind of it was grinding. It was you got a bad bad first show, so it was hard to build word of mouth. And if you stumbled on the first couple of shows, it was really hard. And um, the online reviews very came to to prominence and yeah. really affected a lot of things. And if they if you had and then you had those time those years where everything was just firing on all cylinders. You started strong. You went strong halfway through the festival. You just knew like we're gonna have great houses. People are liking the show. You can just lean back and enjoy it. And happy hour was one of those just golden fringe shows yeah. and uh for me i i think i saw it three out of the five times because i wanted <laughs> to see it as many times as possible and it was just glorious yeah it was so much fun yeah so good job thank you i want to go see it now me too um for myself i, I yeah. had a ton ton of breakthroughs as as a producer uh writer director mm-hmm. uh performer actor comedian um prop maker uh graphic designer with the <laughs> postcards the mentor trying to help other people as it went on for me so like a ton of i think uh, who i am is baked into this but the big thing for me was uh 2002 i had an idea well actually 2001 during the 2001 fringe uh there i think there was a lot of there must have just been a lot of back and forth between uh, various performers and being frustrated with the reviews because the fringe has started to be covered more mm-hmm. and it would be these like paragraph long at the most reviews that were just sort of like thumbs up thumbs down this was brilliant this sucked this here's here's one that's just kind of a description of the show without Mm -hmm. actually being a review uh so it really started to be that that performers were very consternated with the review conversation and how your fate was held in the hand of a paragraph of 
one reviewer sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you could get the people to come see it, but if you got a bad review early on or a weird review early on, that would... So there was a lot of consternation. Yeah. And I got thinking about that, and I thought, like, what well, what would happen if a, if a performer did a one-person show, it was rocky, they got a bad review, and they just kidnapped a critic. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's the through line of my Fringe experience. So I wrote a show called The Worst Show in the Fringe. Um, I think that one comes to mind because it was... Uh, when I thought of it, it was... I had done shows with my brother, and this was the first show I was going to do a show entirely by myself. Mm-hmm. I had written a ton of comedy sketches, but this was the first time I was going to write an entire one-act play by myself. And I think I was still young enough to have both the, uh, from one perspective, hubris, from the better perspective, lack of fear, mm-hmm. that I just wrote it. Like, I, I started writing it uh it, with a real comedy sketch comedy perspective of well there's a guy tied up on a chair tied up in a chair the critic and then the artist is reading the bad review and he's pissed and then i'm just kind of keep writing and it's like well uh, the, you don't really need a big set for fringe but what if i acknowledge that what if i acknowledge that there was no uh that he was being held in an empty apartment why would it be empty well maybe the maybe the guy is got divorced <laughs> and how does that plan do it was that and like it, it was really uh, a much more not an outline it to make sure everything's right and it follows the beats it was beat after beat after beat just kind of building to i had no idea when i started writing where it would end what my <laughs> viewpoint was yeah what what the show would say so from a writerly perspective it's something that like i would love to get back to that because i had such either bravery or hubris depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the uh, a huge amount of the success of it was I I, I asked a, a director, Sarah Joya, and uh, I asked a, a friend of mine, David Mann, who had done a bunch of one-person shows in the Fringe, so he was well-known as doing one-person shows, so it had this meta angle mm-hmm. uh, to play the bereaved actor. He had mm-hmm. done very popular one-person shows, so it was very it was like a joke by itself to, for him to play a guy with a failed one-person show. And then I just totally left it up to Sarah to cast the critic, which was utterly uh, critical. <laughs> uh, and I, I remember to this day that I was, you know, sleeping in late, and I got a phone call on my landline, which was next to the bed. And she's like, I've decided to hire this actor, Craig Johnson. Have you met him? I'm like, no. So you didn't know Craig. I didn't know That's Craig. Amazing. I later found other weird fringe programs from back in the day where like oh craig did a show the year i did this earlier in fringe and i didn't know craig yet uh very very quickly craig uh was your boss in the Hill boss. House. Uh, <laughs> he after doing worse dear show, friend dear friend after mm-hmm. doing worse than show in the fringe he became a dear friend of mine and this was before you and i met mm-hmm. i also remember the the moment where i was working on another friend show with him is like so uh, let's memorize these lines. By the way, I'm dating Sarah. Anyway, uh, just to see if it was okay. Uh, he, Yeah, he did a yeah. reading in our wedding. He is a dear friend yes. and a just jaw-droppingly amazing performer. Um, yeah. And I had that amazing experience where, yeah, anyway, where like I had a bunch of lines and like, oh, I d- I'm going to cut the rest of the line because he made it, he made, you know, the word no funny instead of a speech about no. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, you know, I, when I started working on it, it was, uh, the, it, wouldn't it be amazing if the worst show in the fringe was the number one selling show? And it was it, ultimately, and it was, it was just, it was a really great, uh, beautiful experience. And I'm always going to be super grateful for that. Yeah. But it was also, when I started, 
is is illustrated by all of the examples of failure. I had so much to learn, and maybe it took me even longer than it should have to learn them. But when I had started the fringe, it was really from my perspective, knowing not a lot about theater, not a lot about comedy, uh, and and sometimes having some voices of doubt growing up. Um, that to to the idea that I could have the number one show in the fringe was like, you can't fly. Don't try to fly. It was, it really <laughs> did. I'm aware of its context in the larger world. It's, mm-hmm. it's a theater festival and I'm grateful to have had success, but I also am not saying that I climbed Mount Olympus, but it felt that way. Yeah, absolutely. To me. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did not see it that year, but I did see it the next year, I think. Yes, we yes, on. we remounted it, and which was controversial because the fringe is supposed to be about new things. So <laughs> it, it immediately, be, this great success immediately became controversial. Uh, as happens with the fringe. But I'm very grateful that you did because you talk about those moments of magic um, where everything is just on fire. And that for me is one of those that was on fire by that point. I did know who you were. Obviously, I knew Craig because I worked with him every day um, and went to go see the show. And it was amazing. Yeah, Craig is super analytical and one of the really nice stories that he always tells me. Like, I remember the first read-through, we, Sarah rented a, a space in the uh, library uh, on Hennepin Avenue, and I remember the first read-through and it going really well and just being me really excited. And I should also say, did a ton of rehearsal in a ton of drafts, and it was also a great experience in carve, 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 choose, 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 um, to make it as sharp as humanly possible. Um but Craig has very nicely told me the story that uh, at the time, I don't know if it's changed, a part of his ritual, you know, right before a show is like going to go on, is like an- analyzing it for himself. Okay, but really, where am I going to get laughs? laughs? He has very nicely told me, like, if I play these right, almost all of these could be laugh lines. <laughs> so Craig. It's so, so Craig. true. And so beautiful. Uh, so we, we talked about some glories. Uh, yeah. What were challenging parts of the fringe during our time there? Ooh, um, I mean, I mean, so many. Uh, trying not to faint during a show was a pretty <laughs> big one. Um, that was certainly one. I mean, I mean, the, honestly, the fringe has had some super highs for me, but also big lows. Um, if I can just drop the everything down way low for a moment, the when the thirty five W bridge collapsed. Yes, that was immediately next to the venue that I was in and I was not right before the festival started yeah it was um I was not at rehearsal that day but a lot of but I I think I had been at rehearsal like that afternoon before it collapsed or maybe it had been the day before but a lot of my friends were like oh my gosh Sarah are you there um so and for people who are not aware this is a bridge that crossed the Mississippi that it was a major highway that collapsed just fell into the just fell no warning Many people were injured. People died. Um, huge, major catastrophe. Um, so, so that is a thing that I will always associate with the fringe. Um, and also, just I mean, like I, the up, the ups and the downs of figuring out my own process, of figuring out like, oh, sometimes I'm not. Uh, I love improv. I like to think I like to choreograph, and then I try to do it, and then I'm like. I really like it when other people tell me what to do <laughs> in terms of choreography, not in terms of other things. In, in terms life. of dance, yeah. In terms of dance. Um, and also just like figuring out what the story is. Like you were saying, like lots of rehearsals. I didn't always do that. And I feel like I, some of the shows I was in and some of the shows I helped put on, um, 
even some of the shows that you and I put on together, some were more put together when they started than others. Yes, absolutely. And that is that I would say that that's maybe one of the hard parts of Fringe Mm -hmm. for me uh, was that the online reviews became a big thing. The online reviews of Fringe uh, really started growing in the early 2000s and really um, were firmly in place by mid mid 2000s. Yeah, and this is just to be clear audience reviews. So the audience could yes. log in and write a review and it got to the place where like that was the main thing people would see about your show. Yeah, because they could just click on the website that also told them where to go and they could just see your show, you know, one out of 5 stars. Mm-hmm. So there there was increasing tension I think from the artists about we're trying to have fun summer camp and we understand it's totally fair whether or not people enjoy the show mm-hmm. um but there was such consternation in the fringe the year the years that i was involved i think did a good job about eliminating reviews that were personal or weren't about the show i think one time somebody thought i was rude to them after the show and i didn't i i like honestly didn't remember the interaction and but it was like the show is okay but don't try to say hello to joseph afterwards and it's like is that a fair review of the show? Yeah, um, that one bugged you for weeks. It did. There's another one that bugged me, but I'm not going to talk about it. Anyway, because <laughs> this is the thing, and it would become, yeah. uh, for the performers, a large part of the the conversation, and, and it became this, uh, this very specific anxiety. But I think because of the online reviews, I mean, obviously the paper reviews, you know, were still like a risk. But the fringe really in its bones, if you, the majority of times that I would ask somebody in on their website to this day, they'll say, you know, it's a, it's a place to experiment. It's a place for brand new people to try things out. It's a place for people who are well-established to try new things. Mm-hmm. And with the online reviews, the shows that did well were the shows that were polished to the effing syllable or arm gesture if it was a dance. And if you put on something... <laughs> a little bit rougher mm-hmm. you would pay for it and because the time is so condensed you could maybe have a rocky first show if you have a rocky first two shows you're done mm-hmm. for the 10 days of the festival yeah so that i think that was one of the the harder things i really made an effort to uh experiment and do different things but you know toward the end of my run i had a couple of shows where I'm like i'm really gonna experiment and i i got you know the other thing was audiences were very, very harsh because mm-hmm. I was popular. It, there got to be in this is my opinion. People listening may disagree and I respect that. My, just my opinion. Uh, there got to be a real vibe of five stars is where you start. Five stars is not an exceptional show and two and a half stars is a good show. Mm-hmm. Five stars is where you start and things will be removed for doing them poorly. <laughs> so. As I was talking, I was just I was just going to relate like had some really rough shows that were only four stars, but which is absurd. But it's true because like 85 percent of people would love or like it, but 15 percent effing hated it. Mm -hmm. And you would be racked with tension because if you lose that one star and and there were parts of this uh, journey where. Uh, money was at stake where, you know, early on when I didn't uh, have a job outside of being a writer performer, um, I made good money at Fringe some years. And it really could be like, hey, I'm sorry that first show is rocky, but I want to pay my mortgage kind of tension. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. 
So I'd say that that was a rough part of it for me. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, but what are you going to do? That I, It is interesting to me now that I went through that experience before I really joined social media. And now yeah. that is the experience where I feel like, you know, in general, it's probably good in the big picture that it isn't a select few reviewers who get to be the deciders of what is good and bad. It mm-hmm. really is everybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to have just a couple more questions in our in our main topic. Are you ready? Yes. Uh, you've been involved with other fringes outside of Minnesota. We talked about talking about that. So let's talk about it. So <laughs> Edinburgh, what was that like? And yeah. what else have you been involved in? So I did when I was, um, so 1998, I was um, studying at the University of Edinburgh and uh, ended up doing, again, I tried to do two shows because I didn't quite get it. But I was at that point dancing with a Scottish dance group <laughs> and we were going to tour in Germany and I was going to miss a week of rehearsals. Um, so I had auditioned for, um, I can't think of it now. What's the people eater, the plant eater? Oh, show? yeah, yeah. Um, Seymour. Seymour. Yeah. Seymour's the, the, the plant. I can't think of what yeah. the name is. Anyway, the crier was like, I want her. She Little can, Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. And she's like, she can kick really high. I want her, but she can't make a week of the two weeks of rehearsal. I was like, I can't do anything. I have to be in Germany. Sorry. Uh, it sounds so glamorous. Anyway, so I ended up um, doing Gilbert and Sullivan. In Instead the of Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Because um, who who doesn't think Gil- Gilbert and Sullivan is is fringe material? But we did it. Um, and it, it was super fun. It was with people that I knew. And uh, it didn't matter that I was in Germany for part of the summer because we rehearsed at other times. Um and then, you know, and <clears throat> excuse me, that was just really fun to be part of kind of that energy of the fringe. And I had heard about the fringe and I'd very specifically um, stayed like I was done with classes and I'd very specifically stayed because I wanted to be there for the French festival. I wanted to try to be in the French festival like this was part of my plan. Yeah. Um. And and it was super great. It was it was really fun to see kind of the change of what happened uh, from because you've got the Edinburgh Festival going on, you've got there's a book festival going on around the same time, you've got the French Festival, which is huge. Um, that year, unlike my first year in the Minnesota Fringe, it was, I believe, fairly cold and rainy. And so uh, everybody who'd been in French, like, yeah, the tourists like aren't quite as out now. I'm like, okay, but the Royal Mall is packed. Um, so it was really, it was really fun. And f- from everything I've heard, I mean, that was over 20 years ago. So, um, it has changed a lot since then. I yeah. think it has gotten a lot bigger. Um, but it was it was super fun. And a lot of the same things. Like, there wasn't the same, like, everybody goes to the same, you know, place to go hang out because it's just too big. But um, but there was a lot of camaraderie and kind of that fringe spirit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a historian, I've always been, I always liked that, especially early on in my Minnesota fringe days of being like, well, Sarah's first fringe was at the original fringe festival in Edinburgh. <laughs> um, I liked that I could hang my hat on that. Yeah. And then in, uh, I don't remember what year, some year in the 2000s, I went to the Thunder Bay, Canada fringe. With John Munger, who we were talking about earlier, we um, there was a fairly small fringe, of, very um, small compared to the Minnesota fringe, but like very active and yeah. vibrant. Um, and we went up there and did a, a dance show. And that was super fun to kind of have been in the fringe world and then see like, OK, what is this world where it's small enough so that everybody's doing it? And yeah. 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 
That's great. I, oh, I, someday, uh, it, it's a bucket list thing I would still like to uh, be in an Edinburgh Fringe show or do an Edinburgh Fringe show. I remember the first time I ever went to Edinburgh, got off the train at Waverly Station, right? Yep. And, you know, there's a nice sort of concierge information person. And I was like, where does the fringe happen? Because <laughs> in Minneapolis, it would be in one or two select neighborhoods, you know? Yeah. Uh, and the person was like, what are you talking about? I was like, how, how could this person in Edinburgh not know the fringe? She's like, the fringe festival, the large, where does it happen? She's like, what do you, what do you mean where? And she, everywhere. Yeah, and she was just like, <laughs> everywhere. But in a Scottish accent, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I think a, a big part of Fringe is there are the experience that I haven't had. A ton of people tour the circuit, especially right. people who have one-person uh, shows or just a small uh, circuit. And, you know, I, I think I got spoiled by the Minnesota Fringe because by the time I got successful enough in the Minnesota Fringe and didn't have other jobs and thought, like, is that a thing I should do? Is that a thing I should try? I would talk to other people or, or look at other handbooks and the Minnesota Fringe was just so great. It was such an infrastructure where if you followed the rules, you had to do the work and you had to do the work well, but you were so supported mm-hmm. and you didn't have to run around and find your own venue. You didn't have to find your own tech person. Um, there are ups and downs with opinions about the finances, but you got a big cut. Um, yeah. You know, and I got I just got spoiled to the point where like, I don't know that I so love this experience. I don't know if I want to have a weird experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, another road not taken. I'm going to yeah. change the name of Obsessed to Road Not Taken. <laughs> um, but you've had your shows produced by other people in other fringes. Yes, and I wanted to talk about that because thinking about that, it was one of those, like I said at the top of this podcast, try not to talk too much, which I have failed at, of... 19 years of my life it's more than 19 years of my life because okay let's break this down okay so i have had shows produced at a couple different fringe festivals shows that i originally wrote for another fringe festival somebody else and i've had shows uh produced lots of different places Mm -hmm. um uh in inside and outside of the fringe festival but in specific uh there's a, a great friend of mine named megan maroney who produced a couple different shows that i wrote or co wrote at the orlando fringe festival so, all right. Uh, everyone I know, I think, is fringe. So, uh, when my brother and I started, uh, one of one of my best friends in Minneapolis for many years, who introduced me to most of my other friends, that then introduced me to other friends in Minneapolis, uh, Tim Uren, mm-hmm. very funny writer, performer, comedian. Uh, the first time I met him, he was doing voiceover for an improv show. So the first time I heard his voice, it was literally him making jokes in the air above me. Uh, so. Tim, that was always like a thing of like, I met almost everybody I know through Tim and then into the fringe. Um, my very good friend, Bill Corbett, uh, I, I met a couple different places, but it was mostly through Sarah Joya, mm-hmm. who I went to one of his shows. And then he eventually came to one of my shows, uh, Die Clowns Die, which was a one person show about comedy. <laughs> and he so built very nicely stuck around afterwards. It was like, that's really great. And as I've he nicely complimented me on it, and as I've come to know him over the years bill is very much a student of comedy likes thinking about the gears of it um and then a couple years later bill asked me to work on a show with him for the uh, san francisco sketch fest through the sketch fest that's how you and i ended up going on the jonathan colton cruise where we met almost Every every human being almost that we know in los angeles can be traced to (laughs) going to those shows, uh, going going on that 
cruise, except for big pocket of the people I know. So Bill and I did this show at, at San Francisco Sketchfest, and then on the Jonathan Colton cruise called My Monster. It was a loose, uh, well, yeah, so Bill had just wanted to do a show at Sketchfest, and we made up this show where he was a, a, a screenwriter with kind of a, a pompous screenwriter with a lecture on screenwriter screenwriting, and then I came in as his blank character, and then he put things on me, and then it was a Frankenstein story where I revolted against the master. Uh, it was great fun to do. Uh, he did a reading, Bill did a reading of that with Trace Ballew at Dragon Con. Megan was randomly in the audience, hadn't met her yet, contacted Bill and said, can I do that show? And Bill was like, Joseph knows Fringe better. It's fine with me. Talk to him about it in, in, a, in a perfectly nice way. That sounded mm-hmm. dismissive. Bad delivery. <laughs> uh, so I, I talked to Megan about it and worked it out. And then eventually Megan was uh, like, so Megan did the show, uh, did a great job. It did great in Orlando. It killed. I was I was thrilled. And then before I even moved to Los Angeles, Megan was like, if you're ever in Los Angeles, you should do this show called Five Truths and a Lie that my friends Audrey Kearns and Brian Bradley put on. Uh, people who have listened to Obsessed know exactly who Audrey and Brian are because they've been on this show many times. I met many other people through Audrey and Brian, including, and this is where I'll stop, I did a panel with Audrey that I only know through this chain of fringe-related events at the Los Angeles Comic-Con, at the time called the Stanley Kamikaze, and one of Audrey's friends, this guy, Ken Namsock, came to see the panel because Audrey and many other people I met through Audrey were on this panel, (laughs) and I... if people don't listen to my other podcast, Force Center, uh, Ken is the person I do the Star Wars podcast Force Center with and also met a huge chunk of the other people that I know from Los Angeles. All wow. be, and it, So ev- almost every human being I know, I would not know without a Fringe Festival. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. And it's not like I don't have to twist real hard. It's like it's not six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like a foot and a half of Kevin Bacon. You yeah. Know? Besides, I'm fairly certain the first time I ever saw you on stage was at a Fringe Festival. Oh, I'm, I'm very certain. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I know the first time I saw you on stage was at, at a Fringe Festival. Was it 2002? 2003. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap up with that. <laughs> let's figure this out. Our relationship was forged in many fires of the summer <laughs> and spring of 2005. Uh, but one of them was we went on our first date. We weren't sure it was a date. It was a, it, we, we were, we had been hanging out mm-hmm. and we agreed to go see a show with Craig Johnson, with our, Craig Johnson in our it. mutual friend, <laughs> Craig Johnson in it. The show is called Triumph of Love. Uh, the evening ended by, uh, me asking if this was a date and you saying, I don't know, do you want it to be a date? And I was like, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. And it was, it all worked out. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Here we are. But on that date, you told me that you were moving to London, <laughs> yeah. and I told you the Fringe show that I was going to do, which I had not told anyone else, and yeah. you were like, that's great, and it I was like, it. ah, and then there were many uh, uh, physical injuries and various uh, emotional stresses <laughs> that summer, uh, cars it's breaking down. Not cars caused by me, just no, going to say that. No, nope. no, I was like, ah, Sarah, you're awesome. I opened this door, and it was like, you know, it's like the, the uh, scene from Community. <laughs> <laughs> where he comes back with a pizza and everything's on fire. He's like, do you want to date me? Here's my life. 
everything was on fire in different ways it really was i'm just gonna own it uh but the show that i was doing was adventures in mating which went on to get produced lots of uh different places it was it's a romantic comedy that is a choose your own adventure where the audience gets to vote on what happens next and craig played uh, the waiter, who was the person who talked to the audience, he'd ring a little bell, freeze the action, he'd ask the audience for their opinions. Is uh, very stressful to write and get finished and all that. Um, do you think our relationship that summer being being forged in the fires of Fringe helped us or hurt us? Oh, <laughs> um, I I helped us. <laughs> that that did not sound convincing. <laughs> I I mean I think the fires of everything else that were going on were the things that were the fires to be overcome. But I feel like I mean the show was solid. I remember reading the script when you finished it. Um, Which I only finished uh, because you let me borrow your computer because my computer died and we were going to a wedding in that Iowa in. that of your friends. So like, yeah, I remember. And I, you were on crutches. I was on crutches in that Monday, I think. Or no, that Sunday was our tech and I hadn't finished the script yet. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to say helped because if you hadn't finished the script and done all that, then maybe it would have hurt. But you pulled all the pieces together. We pulled the pieces together. We pulled together. the pieces together. I, 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 we'll, we'll wrap up our main section with this. So you were you encouraged me. Um, I I was the script was harder than I thought it was going to be, and I was dilly dallying, and and I ran out of time. But I was also just like, why am I typing words on a computer when I could be spending time with this woman? <laughs> <laughs> and we were both really busy that summer, yeah. so it was hard to find time together. So it was really like I would finish my umpteen rehearsals and you know two different day jobs and then be like i could write this or i could get on a bus and go see sarah and like i want to go see sarah <laughs> but, uh anyway first first show a very well-intentioned uh ticket taker thought that he had sold all the tickets yeah. and was turning people away because it was sold out and you fixed it i forgot about that in in fact Something happened with the uh, the that first performance. Something happened with the programs too. Yes, I couldn't get them printed for some reason, and you volunteered yeah. to get them printed, and then your car died on the and way my there. Car died because we yeah. were just drama. <laughs> <laughs> but you fixed it. I fixed it. I brought programs. It, I don't know. I probably hiked yeah. there from St. Paul. You took a bus in your car. Any yeah. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. So. <laughs> The the show I it had been a stressful summer and I was worried about the show and it, it, the show killed. Craig yeah. was hilarious. Uh, the other actor Elaine Hopkins, uh, another dear friend and hilarious, Amazing. talented performer, uh, was great and and the concept worked really well and it was it was great. And it when you have a great first show, and that was a time in the fringe where it was kind of like I had been up and down about whether or not I was going to be continue to be successful and it that was the year that locked me into being successful for many years to come mm-hmm. so it was high tension yeah. for that in that first show being like okay this is gonna work and this is gonna be fun uh and then you and i went to chipotle and it was it's one of my <laughs> happiest <laughs> memories that post first adventures in mating burrito wonderful <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to our how obsessed are you questions i rambled a bit so we're gonna have a short Shorter, how obsessed are you? Okay. Do you, to this day, recognizing that it's something that was a big part of our lives in the past, to this day, do you still think about Fringe Festival every day? 
No. Yeah. Uh, what makes you think of it when it comes to your mind? Um, oh, such a wide variety of things. I mean, sometimes it'll be something like a piece of music that I... Did I mention that I danced? Uh, <laughs> something like that. Um, I didn't always dance. I'm I'm just going to say a thing. Because one, one of the things about Fringe is that you could do other things. So one year I was like, screw it, I'm not on a dance show. I'm going to audition for this musical theater show. And I did Highlander the musical. You and did. And I sang and acted and did dance a little. And it was a comedy show that I first saw you show. in. Um, that you first saw me in. Yeah. We were married. What? No, the high, not Highlander the Musical, a different show. Oh, yes, it was a comedy show. Yes. I did a few, like I said, I did quite a few shows. I had never seen you. <laughs> Sorry, you said lightning round. Um, no, it's Or fine. you implied. Slow lightning. Slow. <laughs> uh, so music will make you think of French Music. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, something reminds me of it, basically. Yeah, okay. How uh, about you? Yeah, I think I do. I do because I think you they're, think about it every day. I think so. Yeah, because it, it just flo- there, it, it was so formative to me. So that when I think the idea of producing something or like honestly, like the fringe, uh, I, I, d- sometimes people when they were negative, because I, I think because I was successful, I did sometimes get some negativity, and and mm-hmm. that was instructional and hard. Sometimes people would accuse me of like gaming the system. I never gamed the system at all i had the good experience of looking around and going well which venue do people like to go to how many seats does it have what other performers that i really connect with also have you know uh, a fan base at the fringe um what topics do people seem to be gravitating toward and am i interested in that topic and a lot of times i'd be like i'm not doing a show like that but if there's a show like ooh, the audience seems to be gravitating toward that and i feel like i have something to say about it i'll do a show like that like mm-hmm. I think uh, there's there's the writing, there's the performance, but thinking, but knowing something as well as I did, like the fringe, and being able to kind of be inside it, and therefore be able to make good strategic choices as a, as a producer, without ever violating the creative decisions I wanted to make. I think I I think about that a lot. Mm. Like, how can I learn other things? The way I knew Fringe. Yeah. So that I can make really good choices. Yeah. Without, again, gaming the system or violating what I want to do creatively. Mm-hmm. Which in Hollywood, like, yeah, everybody, you don't uh, have to have anything to do with Hollywood. I've just watched uh, any any movie or television show. That's part of Hollywood is, you know, success uh, is uh, uh, trying to find success while also doing what you want to do creatively. Yeah. It is a good dance to know. Um would you want a shower curtain made entirely out of old Fringe Festival postcards? I mean, if it was waterproof, that would be fine. <laughs> would you uh, Would you want all those memories? Because obviously it, it represents, you know, a lot of life, ups yeah. and downs and challenges and successes and stress and joy. Yeah. Would it be our postcards or just like a random selection of postcards? Which would you prefer? I don't know. I guess at first I was picturing like a random selection, but I would want to make sure that at least some of ours were in there. I feel oh, yeah. like people have had some pretty good postcards over the years. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as long as I think I would kind of like a mixture. Like I might want to hand choose like who are some other people I want to think about, you know, who did the fringe that we met or just like postcards that were cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Fun discussion point. Okay. Bathroom shower curtains. Good place for a fun discussion point. <laughs> Uh, welcome to our new podcast shower discussions (laughs) we'll start that one 
do you li- did you like the TV show Fringe more or less because it shared the name with the festival? <laughs> um, I'm gonna say um, I think less in that it took me longer to watch the show because I maybe thought it was somehow related or it wasn't related. <laughs> I mean, I knew it wasn't related, but um, yeah, I'm gonna say for my mind it was a tick against it. Yeah. But we ended up watching it and enjoying it. Really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I remember just when it first came on of like, you know, because you're involved in something, nobody called it the Minnesota Fringe Festival in casual conversation. It was Fringe. What are you going to do for Fringe this year? Are you in Fringe this year? So it was one of those really like, you took one of my basic words. It was like if there was like a (laughs) a television show named Sandwich or Shower. Like, this Mm -hmm. is weird now. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Uh, but I like the show very much. Would you want a playset with action figures of any Fringe show you've done? Yes. Here, very specifically. Yeah. Because we haven't had a talk, chance to talk about one I of my think, absolute favorite chin fringe shows I was in. I know what you're going to say. So, <laughs> I, one of the years with DRP Dance, uh, we were in a fringe show, and there is, um, you know, the fringe was always trying like different ways to have partnerships and things like that. They're like, okay, there's a visual art element of partner with a visual artist. And so, Danielle partnered with her husband, Joel, who's a metal artist, and he made these six, like six foot tall metal sculptures on wheels that all had moving spinning parts. And Danielle and I did a duet that was the two of us and these six metal sculptures. And uh, side note, one of my favorite shows I've ever done in my life. Uh, Also, I was so incredibly ripped from having to... uh, whip those metal sculptures back and forth and catch them and not crush my toes yeah um that was great too <laughs> accidentally getting really in good shape but the, i would love i mean are you kidding a place that so i get to like have all the little movable sculptures and the little pieces that move and i could it would be like my little zen desk yeah you know, like people you know rake sand i'd be like okay today i want this sculpture to be facing this way oh, i would love it that show was 50 at least right it was 50 minutes right or was it the full hour um, somewhere in that 50 to 55. It's like mean. 50, 55 straight minutes mm-hmm. of two people dancing, spinning around these metal sculptures. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorite things I have ever seen. Uh, the sculptures had great energy and were beautiful by themselves and they were on wheels and they rotated and you and Danielle have such a great connection. There, you could watch that again and again and you could map different ideas and emotions as you played with the piece and put it away and were you and Danielle coming together were you pulling apart and what did it mean and Mm -hmm. uh yeah Danielle is a fabulous dancer Mm -hmm. you are a fabulous dancer I have seen and and had the pleasure to know many fabulous dancers you your body types are almost exactly the same uh just in in terms of like kind of proportions Mm -hmm. and you dance exactly you have exactly the same style of dance just big yes, but, electric movement it so it was so powerful thank you to see the two of you dance together yeah what were you gonna say you had i was a, you just had gonna a, say like not totally exactly the same more in the, like the like one plus one equals three type of way like we feed off of each other not like it gets boring I oh yeah yeah yes yes it, it was so <laughs> god it was so the same no you both you both have a connection i will always remember this because I, I love watching you you both dance together um because yeah, obviously, if you really want to dive into it, there are differences. But in terms of your approach to dance in the energy of your movement, the way your movement makes an audience feel, mm. 
um, like in terms of like, I, I always like being kind of a, a, an observer of dancers as actors, like your line delivery. If you were actors is the same, mm-hmm. you accent the same notes, you have the same pauses, like you're so in sync. Uh, and there was one of the times that we moved, uh, houses that you and Danielle were in front of me and you were both carrying boxes in your movements, just doing something <laughs> as pedestrian as picking up a box, moving it, walking down a hallway and turning like they're dancing and they, I don't, are they doing that on purpose? Cause they are perfect. They're perfectly <laughs> in sync moving books. It, yeah. Yeah. It's truly amazing. And I would love a play set. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, moving on. If aliens came to Earth and you were the person assigned to greet them, would you take them to several fringe festival shows in a row to explain humanity? Ooh, yeah, I think I would. That would be really fun. And then try to figure out in between times, like, what was that one? What's their reaction? Yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah, because it, it really, when when fringe is successful, it really, it, it goes the gamut from like, Here's a, you know, 19-year-old who has never been on stage before to mm-hmm. here's some of the most polished performance you will ever see, you know. Yeah. And even if it's like, this is okay, it's not amazing, but that's still great because maybe it's a person who hasn't done this exact thing or hasn't been on stage before and they're trying something new and like that's part of the human experience. And I feel yeah. like that's part of what you would want to show these aliens is that whole gamut of experiences. So, Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Never mind the just genre whiplash of maybe you'll see a comedy, maybe you'll see a dance, maybe you'll see like a really intense drama, like yeah. everything, everything goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go in, get some in, mime. Yeah, not, yeah, you get, uh, yeah, there's been some mime. <laughs> uh, if you're about to do a Fringe Festival show that you were real excited about, but a bear was blocking your way to the stage, you were backstage and a bear was in your way, would you try to get around the bear to do the show? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I got a yes on the bear question. <laughs> Holy. Wow. Is it because the show must go on? Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe the maybe the bear's going to come on stage with me, but uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're we're getting that show going. Yeah. I'm I'm running past that yeah? bear for okay. sure. Show adrenaline, that'll take you right, right. past a bear. <laughs> Uh, what noise do you have to sum up your uh, interest level in the Fringe Festival? Wee! <laughs> Yay! That's great. That's great. Uh, this is this doesn't quite encapsulate my feelings, <laughs> or does it? My noise would be the entire Carly Simon song "You're So Vain." <laughs> Partially, uh, there, there's an element of that. That song has a little bit of fringe in it. It's very, it's very aware. It does. It's very performative. But it was the, uh, it was the curtain call music uh, for for worst show, and it's. I, I really love those moments as a performer where you're still on stage, but you're not really, you're not in character anymore. You're not performing, and almost like you, you bow and you're looking at the stage, and it's almost like you're in your own little world while you're still on stage, and or you know the you're gathering with your other actors in the blackness before the lights come back up but that music is starting and just some of the happiest memories of my life is the the opening chords of of your sylvain because of that uh a rating scale of one to ten one being the lowest ten being the highest uh how obsessed do you think you were and or are in the present with fringe festival Mm. i mean are in the present i'm gonna give myself really low uh 
like a two. Right, because it was a huge part of your life and it, it just hasn't been. I just been. don't think about it very much and haven't been part of it. Um, and honestly, I'm going to say like even in the years when I was in it, like July and August, I would probably be in like the seven, eight range. But the rest of the year when I wasn't in, I I truly didn't. Sorry, but I truly didn't think about it that much. That's, that's fine. Um, and so I would say like the rest of the year, I'd probably be like a four. Okay. And then it would ramp up because I was in rehearsals or actually doing shows and in the middle of it. So like for those 10 days, of course, it's like an eight, nine. But um, but it, it really was never a year round ex- obsession for me. Okay. Uh, even even when I was we were together and I was doing more. Um, no. <laughs> Well, I'm happy to hear that because I think there were definitely times where I feel like, yes, I introduced uh, some stress into our life because of the fringe obsession. Yeah. Boy, this is hard because I, hard. I, it was one of those chapters I, I chose to close. I've dallied with the idea of doing the Hollywood Fringe Festival, but there's a part of me that just wants to leave that 19-year experience for what it was and not have this kind of weird, It it is... The fringe, but it's not the fringe to me. Nothing yeah. having no judgment about what the Hollywood fringe is, just from my own life experience. Yeah. Um, I do think of, I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself at an eight because uh, it. I mean, it was like it was the cycle of my existence for many mm-hmm. years. Of well, when are the applications due? When is the promo due? When I need? When do I need to take the uh, photos with my friend uh, Craig Vandershek? And you know, it got to be so like this is the cycle, and this is what I talked with my friends about all of them, mm-hmm. pretty much about what are we doing for the fringe? What are you doing? Do you want to do this? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So not a, all of the artistic experience uh, of doing it, all the friendship, all, all of the challenges, um, but also just like it was my calendar year. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, now that it hasn't been for six years, it's been both freeing and weird to be like, August, why am I not <laughs> doing all the things? Mm-hmm. And then the new year starts in the middle of August. Yeah. Exa- I, and that's re- like, yeah, the, the last couple of years, Fringe would end in August and then I would play a video game in September because it was my like time <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'll reinstitute that. It's going to be video game <laughs> September. We're going to move on to the plugs. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw and on Instagram at Scrimstreet. Excellent. Here's some quick plugs uh, for the show before our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host with Ken Knapsack, who I indirectly met through the Fringe Festival. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. I have to fix it right now. There is a problem with uh, the WordPress plugin where you can... uh, purchase and download the pdfs of my various plays oh yeah uh, but you on the on the buy page there is a list of my plays and i'll look into fixing that yeah uh yeah i recommend it yeah i, I you've talked a lot you've said a lot of very nice things about watching me dance but it has been one of my joys to get to watch your wide variety of performances whether with um, shows with other people or also some of the amazing one-person shows that you did as well thank you i did a lot of different weird stuff it, it uh hopefully when when the virus ends one of my friend shows uh called nightmare without pants the whole thing is a nightmare that <laughs> a woman is having in the original version it was played by the amazing shannon custer uh that that show is about to be produced in minneapolis 
and uh, and it had to get canceled because of the virus. So yeah. soon, hopefully, uh, a fringe show of mine will happen in Minneapolis again, but not during the fringe. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, anyway, go to josephscrimshaw.com website for all the different stuff I do. You can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. And again, if you want to help uh, the Minnesota Fringe out, you can go to minnesotafringe.org slash donate. And I also want to shout out, uh, in particular, old friend. Uh, I thought of doing this because our old friend Natalie Wass <laughs> was doing a post a day uh, uh, encouraging people to help the Fringe. Oh, nice. So yeah. that's what made me go, oh, that that would be a great topic for Obsessed, and we can really try to point people to helping them out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an amazing organization that really helped uh, a lot of people, us included, uh, explore our creative and artistic and performing selves. Yeah, absolutely. Here are our final questions. Uh, if you could program yourself to dream about any topic before you go to bed, what topic <laughs> would you want to dream about? Wow. I mean, there's so many options. I know. Yeah. Um. Underwater diving. <laughs> I'm going to let that be a mystery. I'm going to do no follow-up. Unless you want to tell me follow-up. No. Is it because of the sea otters? I mean, they're yeah, part of, partly. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. Uh, if you had to have one Zoom background floating behind you at all times in real life, what would it be? Oh, in real life? In real life. How's the green screening on it? Like, is it's it pretty, pretty accurate? Good. Decent? Yeah. Your head fluctuates a little bit. And what are you going to do? Is it like a foot in front of me at, above me or is it like 10 feet above me? Oh, no, I, it's, it's a good, I, I would say it's like a square going like two feet in every. Okay. I'm going to say, you know, like staying on brand here, like some nice trees, maybe a, like a bird flitting in out, like exuding calm. Oh, exuding calm. Yeah. A nice calm nature zoom background for you <laughs> as you walk through life. Uh, and what is happiness is, of course, the final question for everyone on the podcast. We, we're doing the podcast together these days. Do you want to just answer what is happiness or do you want a fringe specific version I'll, of what I'll, is happiness? I'll give a fringe specific answer. How's Perfect. that? Um, being on stage in the middle of a show that you know is going well and having that experience of just being in the moment creatively and performance wise and also feeling like you're there sharing something with the people who are there to watch it. That is a beautiful answer. Thank you so much for doing the podcast with me. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So one of my favorite things about Fringe is I got to really do the gamut of kind of performance. Uh, almost everything I did was comedy based, but, you know, I did Macbeth's awesome Scottish castle party, which uh, we did at a separate venue. So we performed it, I believe, 32 times in 10 or 11 days. Uh, I played James Joyce once. Uh, I did uh, one-person shows, all sorts of stuff. I did stuff that sort of the the uh, more... Um, uh, bigger theater names in town thought was very, you know, good, uh, very traditional, good theater comedy. And then I also got to do like really rowdy late night comedy. And when I think of Fringe, because it is so much the spirit of Fringe is a little bit of sort of punk rock energy, go crazy. One of my weird Fringe memories is doing the uh, late night comedy variety show that my brother and I did called Look Mono Pants. And we did a thing, uh, uh, an improv game called story where you point at one person and they talk 
and then you switch your finger and the other person in the line keeps telling the story but we wanted to uh make it uh, weirder and boozier uh so we added the different fingers where one finger was pointing and another would be uh go drink a beer and another would be go drink some carlo rossi wine and another one would be go grab a bottle of vodka and it would end up in just this uh, huge and incredibly complex uh you'd be able to follow the story but you know people would be having three or four beers uh there was a uh, booze splashed everywhere and there was one particularly raucous night where i was like uh to finish it i'm gonna leap on to onto stage so i was slightly off stage conducting this and i was like i'm gonna leap on stage uh i landed on my knees which i now could not do and there was just the right amount of spilled booze on stage that uh, i hydroplaned <laughs> and slid across the stage <laughs> on a mixture of beer, uh, vodka, and Carlo Rossi wine. And in some ways, <laughs> that's the spirit of Fringe to me. <laughs>